Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in European Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Tim Jones, and I'm joined today by Marlene Wint, author of The Tribalization of Europe, A Defense of Our Liberal Values, which was published in June by Polity. This is a short and timely polemic. Arguably, the European project is facing the greatest existential threat in its history. One of the big four member states has left the European Union. The main opposition parties in France and Italy flirt with leaving. Two of its newer Eastern members are drifting away from liberal democracy. And for the first time, an American president openly calls for the destruction of the union. Among these threats, Professor Wint has identified a common theme, tribalization, and a common remedy, an end to defeatism among liberal Democrats and what President Trump might call globalist cucks. Educated at Aarhus University and at the European University Institute in Florence, Marlene is a professor of political science and the director of the Center for European Politics at Copenhagen University. She also teaches at the University of Oslo. She's an expert on the interplay of politics and law in the European Union, on democratic theory, the role of the judiciary, populism, Euroscepticism, and Brexit. Before this book, she authored and co-authored six others. On top of all that, she is currently advising the European Commission on the Rule of Law, and on the basis of this book, is providing counsel to the Office of Commission President von der Leyen. Marlene, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Tim. Now, there's an obvious political and economic backdrop to this book, but what was the immediate catalyst that made you write it? Well, I guess um, the book is a bit uh, different from my other contributions, academic contributions, in the sense that... that um, that this book is really um, quite personal uh, and um, it's, it's very opinionated. Mm. Uh, normally, as an academic, you, you, you don't write this kind of books. Or when you do, uh, you, you need to be really senior and you need to, um, yeah, well. <laughs> uh, but, but it's also a special style. I think you, you find this type of books a lot in the US, for instance, um, mm. but, but not so much maybe in Europe. 
but what made me write it? I think it's, yeah, I've always been engaged in um, the public debate and um, and very active, uh, writing columns for newspapers, several newspapers for 25 years. Mm. Um, so, so I think that it's um, it it was a cumulated um, uh, sort of yeah. It it came from 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 my 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 different uh, takes on on the European development for commenting on it, uh, Brexit, uh, being a spectator to what was going on also in. Uh, uh, in uh, Catalonia, in um, Central and Eastern Europe, and, and and of course by following very closely how the European Union has developed over the past 10, uh, 15 years. Uh, so, uh, so I think uh, I just reached that stage in my academic career where I thought now I can write this book. Now, now I dare to write this book. Now I, I sort of uh, feel that 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 it's really needed. Uh, in a sense, so so that's that's I think the the explanation. Um, it's it's very hard for me to to. It just had to to come out uh, somehow. So so uh, uh, for me, it was it was a very important and and urgent book, and I I, I have a lot of personal uh, anger in it and feelings, uh, and that's of course also not so normal uh, being a professor and normally at least pretending to be objective and and uh, being. Um, kind of looking at everything from, from, from the one side and from the other side and, and try to be nuanced and so on. Uh, I know a lot of my other colleagues, uh, for instance, in the UK have, have also contributed to debate on Brexit. And I mean, it's, it's not always easy to be an academic and then also to, to write these kind of opinionated pieces. But for me, uh, this was really the time. And I, I also sometimes feel that academics are a bit you know, uh, too timid to, to step out there and, and actually try to contribute uh, uh, with their own perspectives and own views. And, and what are we paid for in the end? I mean, if we don't contribute with anything but, uh, you know, uh, boring articles in, uh, in scientific journals, nobody reads them. Um, then, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my, my, my way of being a professor also, that I I always contributed to to the public debate. I step up. I've I've actually received a lot of bashing from politicians for for politicizing and what else they come up with. Um, mainly for defending Europe. I mean, in Denmark, in that sense, Denmark, uh, where I come from, and I, I live in Copenhagen, it's it's uh, in many ways quite similar to the UK. The debate we have had on Europe. There's a lot of politicians who are. Um, who are very very busy uh, trying to to talk down the the European project, and and um, you know they think they can gain voters from doing so, and the tabloids do the same, and and so so if you try to just sometimes uh, step into this quagmire and and uh, argue that well what would what would we where would we be without without the European Union I mean we would be so incredibly poor we would I mean have to run and beg everyone to to buy our goods and and uh, I mean sometimes you just yeah, uh, you cannot uh, just expect people to vote yes to all kinds of referendums. You know, Denmark is a country where we have actually had quite many referendums mm. on Europe, and it's not always gone gone very well. So, so, um, uh, so, so I've kind of been been active in this in this whole debate for the past yeah the past twenty years, and and this book was just kind of the um, 
uh, the, 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 I reached this plateau where I just had to write it and, uh, and, and I, I really feel for what I've written in it. So it's, for me, it's, 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 uh, it's opinionated, but it's also building on my research. I mean, studying uh, democracy, democratic theory, um, the role of courts. I mean, look what's happening right now in the UK with, with Boris Johnson all of a sudden not wanting to, 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 to live up to his promises uh, with the withdrawal agreement. I mean, uh, this is really deep down, started, having studied also uh, what is sovereignty, uh, uh, how do we talk about democracy differently in different countries? So trying to sort of tap everything together in, in this kind of very, uh, yeah, I would, I would call it direct and, and, uh, and forceful argument that I'm making. Uh, well, that's my own opinion, but <laughs> maybe you think differently. Well, no, <laughs> but, it, uh, it, it, but, it, but that's, that's sort of the, that very long answer to your question. <laughs> Well, no, it, 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 it reads like a polemic. It reads like, uh, yes, I mean, yes. I, I, I read it in one sitting. Um, how, long, how long did it take you to oh, write? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to hear that because that's, that was actually also the intention. Yeah. Did, did it, I mean, how long did it take you to write if it took me one sitting to read? Well, it actually, yeah, I, I, I've always been, been known for writing uh, Sorry to be so bragging, but uh, writing very clear language in my columns that are, the, the newspaper journals in Denmark, they are very eager to have me as, as a, an op-ed uh, I've written for mm. almost all the big newspapers. And they, they are constantly fighting to, to have me as a, as a writer. I think it's because I, I, I really um, like to write in a polemic language and I, I'm very clear and I'm also not afraid of saying what I, what I think. Um, so, but, but it, I hope that the book, you, you said you, you read it very quickly, mm. uh, but it was, it was actually not that, that, that quickly written uh, because um, I, I really work a lot with my language when I write. And uh, for me, it has to be very, very clear and very simple. And, and that actually takes more time than write something that is incredibly, uh, you know, impossible to understand or, mm. or tricky. Uh, so, so uh, well, it took me a summer and um, maybe a bit more. Uh, so so um, I, wrote it, I wrote it in a summer uh, holiday, uh, but, but uh, maybe, you know, in the, in the end, it probably took some, some more months because I also had to edit and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, but, but it was not as quickly uh, <laughs> written as, as I hope it, it is to read because I really, really, you know, it's also been, been, um, you know, I've been giving a lot of interviews about the book and, and uh, a lot of, of, of so-called uh, ordinary people have bought it and, and read it. It's also coming, it's also been published in Danish. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really like that. I mean, um, that, that it's something that speaks to, um, I just read Timothy Garton Ash had an, an, uh, an op-ed today in the Financial Times where he, 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 he wrote the, uh, you need, we need to learn to be more passionate in the way we, uh, we um, communicate, um, you know, the global order and the necessity of working together and, and uh, upholding the law. Why, why are those who write about that and think uh, about these things always writing in this incredibly boring uh, mm -hmm. academic style? And, and uh, since this is really the, the message that I'm trying to convey, that, that, that 
I mean, what is the alternative to be eaten up by China? I mean, or Russia? I mean, they are cheering every time we fight each other. So, so um, it was really my my urge to to try to to deliver this message in a in a more passionate way than you normally do when you write boring academic books about the rule of law and and you know uh, I've done that you know mm. been there so 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 it's just uh, yeah um it's it's very important that you you if you really have have this kind of 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 view on things you you also need to be able to communicate it in a in a relatively uh, clear and and simplistic and even polemic because in my opinion polemics actually make people think and it provokes people i know but it also makes you think uh to a different degree i think than when you try to you know be on the one hand on the other hand you also have to understand the populist it's very important they have their reasons to be populist well okay fine but i don't give a shit about that i mean for me it's 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 just incredibly dangerous what we are doing with all this as that that's kind of one of the most important points in my book about this understanding 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 the people uh, of course we have to understand the people but we we also have to to sort of be able to say what is bullshit and what isn't and and uh, i mean the people will be the ones suffering from brexit the the ordinary man in the street losing his job uh and and if we don't dare to say that um and if we don't dare to say that if we don't fight for our basic rules and values then i mean there'll there'll be someone else there to to uh, uh shut down the internet uh, to shut uh, shut our uh, you know uh, newspapers to to uh, force us out of uh, communicating directly and uh, make us afraid of speaking up. I mean, there are lots of those out there. Um, and one of the final points I write in my book is really that Europe is, 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 is um, you know, a shrinking continent. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we are only uh, 8% Europeans left uh, in the world. I mean, uh, nobody has promised us that it's our values and our idea of, of the good life, democracy, that will that will end up uh, surviving. And 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 in in my analysis, at least, um, uh, we haven't even realized that yet. Uh, we are just complacent, you know, letting things happen. We don't even care to defend uh, our own uh, small haven of of or small paradise. Even I mean, look around the world and what people are are. Uh, uh, are having to face uh, not in, not just in in China and and Africa and, and other places, also in the United States, where you don't you can discuss whether you even have a a democratic public debate anymore. With instead of, uh, of just opposing opposing camps that are constantly uh, fighting each other and not talking to each other. So, mm. so that's kind of my 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 urge to write it was really based on this uh, that that you know we have to wake up we have to realize that instead of fighting each other and building new walls and uh, leaving the european union um uh, but but also inside the european union that we are we are so busy finding differences constantly and and blaming each other for not doing enough you know the commission didn't do enough during the covid crisis well i mean why are we so busy blaming i mean it's it's in the end it's it's us 
who are not doing enough. It's the member states who do not want to distribute uh, refugees from the uh, terrible camp in, in, in Greece. It's the member states who do not want to deal with a global health crisis together. It's the member states who are, you know, trying to undermine uh, the other countries and their um, ability to, to, to save the European economy and so on. I mean, it's all down to, 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 uh, to, to the member states and the politicians we have, we have voted for. Mm -hmm. So, but we are very busy constantly blaming someone else for, for the failures. So, so that's uh, also kind of, of, of uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, soft with my own country either in this book. I mean, originally, uh, I, I, because I've been so much uh, in the fire in, in, in Denmark, um, and in particular, right-wing politicians have tried to get me fired and so on. I mean, uh, so I thought I'd, I don't want to really comment on Denmark as such, but, but you know, uh, we also had this very strange, uh, actually quite comparable to the UK, uh, with constantly questioning whether um, uh, should we even be in a community where or a union where we have supranational courts that can set aside what the uh, sovereignty, you know, the sovereign parliament has decided, uh, you know, starting to undermine the uh, European Convention of Human Rights. Um, you know, we had a centre-right government um, that 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 simply took that on board and started to to question whether uh, you know whether Europe should 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 defend these these uh, basic rights that we have had since the Second World War. Whether we should we should withdraw from it. I mean, my point is sort of to say this this kind of undermining of the international you know liberal order. It it starts with with us. You know, it's 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 our own politicians who start questioning. And my point is, as I write in my book, that who is cheering? I mean, Putin is standing, you know, cheering every time, uh, you know, the mess that, ha that happens right now, sorry to say, in, in your country, in, in mm. the UK. And, 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 and also every time, you know, Orban says he does not want to sign up to the rule of law or Denmark says, uh, why do we have, even have to, to, to submit to a supranational court um, whether it's it's the court in Luxembourg or in Strasbourg, you know, it's just mm -hmm. as bad. Uh, so we are constantly ourselves contributing to this questioning, questioning, questioning whether it's 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 legitimate, whether it's it's fine, whether it's okay. Is it even democratic? You know, we have politicians in my country who say that it's not democratic to have uh, to to submit to international law. Uh, because then the, the, the sovereign parliament cannot uh, decide for itself. Well, I mean, that's what the whole European past Second World War order was about. It was about, uh, you know, submitting to common rules so that we don't fight each other, so that mm -hmm. we uh, have one legal sphere that we can trade within instead of having 27 different legal spheres where you have to constantly uh, uh, find out what are the rules in Greece, what are the rules in Italy, what are the rules in, in Bulgaria. I mean, uh, the whole point was to create common, common standards, both for, you know, the good society, for human rights, but also for, um, for how we, we trade with each other. So, so it's, um, yeah, I think, I think we, we have a lot, 
we have we have to to a very high degree ourselves to blame for the mess we're in right now. Uh, I, I know the book is incredibly pessimistic. It's it's <laughs> and I really I really didn't want to write something that was that pessimistic, but um, but it's I think you have to go there in order to sort of yeah in, to make your point and to make people realize that that uh, we simply need to talk about this differently and act differently and and move in a different direction otherwise uh, it will end up you know yeah we will end up destroying ourselves in a way yeah you, you i mean you said a few times there that we are to blame and the implication was that that's mostly member states and their governments but do you think as you haven't used the word but do you think that people, the, 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 the electorate themselves have become, uh, in a way, decadent or complacent. They've, they've in, in the United Kingdom, in the United States, uh, throughout the European Union, um, they have become, they, they have accepted uh, decades of wealth and peace and taken it for granted. And as you, you, you actually say in the book, um, as a political platform, uh, it's much easier for uh, a politician to talk to voters about blood, land and history than it is to talk about vague concepts like cooperation or the long-term benefits of competition and trade. So what, I guess what I'm getting at is, the, <clears throat> is this book, this isn't just for governments, this is for people to, to wake up and basically defend something, um, something with a 60-year history before it, it's disappeared without them actually doing anything. Yeah, and, and that's dangerous because uh, you, you very easily, in particular being an academic, uh, you very easily uh, get into big trouble when you say that, that people could also themselves be a little bit less decadent and, and a little bit less complacent. Uh, I mean, why don't you read a book? Why don't you go to the library? Why don't you, before you go voting, uh, find out what the EU is? I mean, I remember uh, in the UK, the most uh, sought for word after Brexit was what is the EU, right? After the vote. So, so that's just a very good example of, and I'm not, I'm not blaming the, the, the British voters, uh, uh, I mean, alone. I, mean, I think it, it's the same we see in many countries. I mean, right now you see uh, people in Belarus uh, standing up and I'm, I'm very, very impressed with this because they, they have not had a free press uh, for, for many years. So, so it's probably the internet that has made this happen. Mm. Um, uh, but, but why is this not happening in Hungary? You know, why are people not going into the streets? I have a lot of very good contacts in Hungary, and, but it's mostly those in, in, in um, uh, you know, academia and critical journalists and so on who are, who are uh, uh, you know, uh, mad about uh, or or upset about upset with with the autocracy of of Viktor Orban. I mean, ordinary people are just you know you get a little bit higher uh, welfare benefits at the next election. Uh, so uh, and it's the same in Poland. You also had uh, an increase in uh, child benefit, and you've got an increase in in uh, pensions. And then people vote for 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 these autocrats. I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, I'm. I'm trying also to 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 um, to sort of yeah convey the message that I mean, if we don't have democracy and access to to express our views anymore, um, then these people who are complacent will also suffer because in the long run, at least, maybe they can manage right now because they, you know, they get this little higher um, benefits and in, in Poland and Hungary, it's even incredibly anti-feminist in the sense that 
uh, they pay women to stay home and to 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 have babies, right? Mm-hmm. So so uh, you, you, the more the more babies you have, the more you 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 get from the state, uh, and it's just incredibly sexist, and I think uh, undermining um, the freedom to think for yourself and to engage in society and to. Uh, yeah, to to even exchange views and and be be in opposition to to what's going on. So it's it's an attempt, I think, by by some very cynical leaders that I also talk about in my book. I talk about this cynicism uh, by leaders who are not even uh, I claim um, they are not in many in in many instances not even believing in what they themselves tell people mm. so so uh, in in you know in 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 hungary for instance uh, you have you have a Viktor Orban, who who constantly talks about Muslim immigrants. I mean, there are no Muslim immigrants in, in Hungary, right? Uh, but he he can you know he 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 knows exactly what buttons to push to 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 make people upset and and to create fear you know fear mongering and 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 um, uh, my my claim is that well it's it's very convenient because then nobody will will dig into his corruption. Um, and uh, I think we see a bit the same in the in the British government, Boris Johnson. I mean, does he believe in Brexit himself? I don't even think so, you know. But but it's a it's a you know it's a way of of keeping himself in office. And uh, you know when he when 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 the uh, the just before the the referendum in the UK, Boris Johnson was was a journalist, as you know, and mm-hmm. and he he had these two op eds: uh, should he vote in favour, should he recommend uh, Brexit, or should he? Uh, recommend uh, the opposite, right? Re- mm. Remain, uh, and and this cynicism um, is is something that I see across Europe because you can you can easily ask me why why are these cases you are talking about in your book? Do they even uh, do they even uh, you know match each other or is, I mean are they not too different? But I think what 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 really uh, makes them makes them similar in, in many ways is the fact that that you have these kind of incredibly uh, cynic uh, leaders who are um, uh, rounded up by uh, or or um, supported by um, some some just a cynic or maybe even more cynic uh, spin doctors uh, and and advisors who are running this show and and um, not much of what comes out from from these professional. Uh, communications, uh, ma- political communications machines are, are about what what these politicians really believe. That's mm-hmm. my claim. I know it's my claim, but but uh, I think we see this cynicism uh, in 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 a lot of places right now. And uh, so it's it's actually manipulate uh, manipulating ordinary citizens to believe that they believe in what they're saying, but in reality, it's more about you know them keep staying in office or you know uh, getting their um, uh, getting money from the EU uh, to their own projects, their own pet projects, and and uh, uh, trying to avoid that anyone uh, gets to know about it. So, so there is this kind of cynicism um, uh, right now in in modern politics. Um, you see the same in the US. I mean, uh, and that can can lead uh, to, in my opinion, a very very dangerous uh, yeah. place where um, where these politicians. They would actually uh, sacrifice Europe and and our democracies for you know for their own small uh, personal gains, mm. and and that is something that is is really scaring me, and and it's scaring me that nobody talks about it and nobody 
um, yeah, um, dares to 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 speak up about it. Uh, one another point that I have in my book that that you probably also noticed is this idea that that a lot of, in my opinion, at least uh, journalists and commentators and so on, they were so they were so taken aback by by Trump uh, uh, that he was elected to the White House and and that Brexit could even happen uh, that that you know. Now everyone is supposed to embrace the people. So we are back to your original question, right? Mm. Uh, about you know, uh, so it's not very political correct to to say, well, maybe the people are wrong, or maybe we told them something that was wrong. Maybe we contributed, uh, you know, to to because we were so, you know, shocked by what could happen and and how how people how angry people could be. Um, that we instead of saying okay you voted for this fine but we don't agree uh this is not good this is terrible um so instead i think i have i have at least felt on my own body that that a lot of you know neoconservatives uh you know nationalists uh commentators are oh you're so elitist uh, you know you should not tell people what they should think you should rather embrace them and you should follow what they say and what they feel and you don't understand them and so on. Um, and, and of course they, they may have a point. Uh, I'm not saying that, that I know everything and, and that, that those who fight for, you know, Europe or just rule of law. I mean, uh, I'm, um, uh, are in necessarily, uh, in any way better people or have 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 more insight i'm just saying that that i i'm pretty uh, pretty surprised by how few people are left uh, insisting that i mean we have this very unique um liberal order in europe we've had it since the second world war we created it ourselves we um uh, it's it's been close to falling apart several times. We had the fall of the Berlin Wall. We had new countries that we embraced and took in. Um, we are living in in a world with with autocrats, with uh, people being poisoned and 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 killed by criticizing uh, uh, big leaders like like uh, Xi Jinping and 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 Putin. And uh, I mean. Uh, we are living in this small, um, unique um, enclave in Europe, and still, uh, there. I think that a lot of intellectuals and commentators are more busy uh, telling other intellectuals uh, that they should back off and that they should, uh, you know, embrace uh, those feelings. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I think that there... There is a good point that links to um, 
you have well you have two chapters one where you say uh, one that's um something like uh, who are the people so the, a definition of who the people yeah. are and then you also have this um uh, uh chapter where you discuss um counter-majoritarian institutions yes. and i think yes. for you you look at the I mean, this has happened in several countries. You look at the two countries where there have been these two major shocking events in 2016, one being Brexit, the other being Trump. Mm. You could argue that both of those were delivered by a minority of the population and they were delivered by unusual institutions, essentially first-past-the-post institutions. Exactly. And I think for many people, especially those coming from countries like the UK or the US who, who, who live in these, you know, the first past the post or electoral college systems, mm. we think of democracy as majority rule. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's a very good point you make about the importance since the Second World War of counter-majoritarian institutions that were done at the national level, but would also the creation of the um, Convention on Human Rights and so on, and, and ultimately the EU itself. So could, could you expand on that? Yeah, that's really my my hard child, I would say, because I've I've, I've been occupied with this debate for for inc yeah past ten years or maybe more, uh, because I'm very interested in the role of 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 democracy, but also in in the role of counter-majoritarian institutions and in the uh, uh, peculiar insistence among not just the UK. Uh, uh, and maybe the U.S., but but certainly because the U.S. do have uh, counter-majoritarian institutions. I mean, they are the ones who pushed this on Europe and said you have to mm. create uh, strong courts, right? Uh, so, but but actually, the Scandinavian countries are, I, you know, uh, are also uh, very very focused on on having parliaments that are not supposed to submit to uh, to 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 courts, neither in their own. Um, Sort of constituency or or or, or uh, community, uh, I mean, in 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 their own country, but but not uh, neither in 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 the at the European level, and and that is is something that I find in, uh, both very disturbing, but also uh, incredibly important to understand the um, the lacking um, emotional support for the European Union in many ways, uh, because for, for a German after the Second World War and for almost all other countries that became democracies, um, now we can discuss what's happening in Poland and Hungary on, on this point, but, but the, the common thing, the common kind of, kind of movement in, in Europe since the Second World War has been this idea that it's not enough to have a parliament that is sovereign. You need in order to protect minorities and basic rights, you need to have counter-majoritarian institutions. And you can actually argue that if you do not have that, if you do not have strong courts that can exercise judicial review, then you are not a real democracy. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I come from a country where where this is, you can even, you meet, you meet, uh, uh, politicians in the parliament who never heard about that you could have a democracy that is different than uh, you know uh, majoritarian democracy uh, so so it's it's uh, it's very interesting that those countries that are most skeptical towards europe 
uh, are the ones that actually uh, never acquire this kind of constitutional moment, this kind of idea that you need to, to have balances of powers and not just division of powers. So you have a division of powers in the sense that, uh, of course, you have in Western Europe, you still have, of course, uh, independent judges, uh, even though they are called enemies of the people sometimes <laughs> in the UK. Uh, but... but um, uh, but you you um, uh, you don't have a balances of power, so so you don't think judicial review is is really legitimate. Uh, you think it's some some you know white headed uh, guys uh, sitting uh, on the bench and and uh, telling uh, the so called ordinary people because the parliament represents the ordinary people what to do. And judicial review in a constitutional democracy is really about that. I mean, uh, ask any German or uh, French or um, anyone uh, in, in Europe, also Italian, uh, what, what, how they would define democracy. They would say balance of powers and not uh, majoritarian uh, democracy and the parliament as the only kind of legitimate body. But in, in our part of the world, uh, we never understood this. And, and, and you have, of course, to remember that the reason why the, the, the Americans actually acquired this of the Germans after the Second World War when they came with the martial help was that um, what happened in Germany just before the Nazis took over was that there was a majority in parliament and very weak courts, courts that could not put down their foot to, to um, uh, the um, extinction of, of, of Jews and minorities, uh, sexual uh, uh, minorities of, of any kind. Uh, so, so there was a situation actually um, uh, just before um, these laws were introduced um, in the German Reichstag that, that, uh, that are very similar to the situation we have in uh, I mean, at least the kind of democracy we have in, in, in Northern Europe. So, so this idea that, that courts should be weak, should not be allowed to overrule the parliament, um, that was exactly what, what you wanted to get away from in, in uh, Germany and also in the rest of Europe, because the rest of Europe and the European Union is built on this uh, kind of um, philosophy that that in order to protect rule of law and minorities in the future, you need strong courts that constantly um, supervise parliaments for not going in the wrong direction. Mm. Um, parliaments can be incredibly dangerous. You know that also, uh, for instance, in Germany, after the Second World War, uh, referendums are, are uh, forbidden uh, because uh, it's dangerous to 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 um, have this kind of populist um, search that is really not necessarily, as you mentioned before, representing the people. They are represented maybe half the people if you vote on something, and and that is not in at least that's how the the Germans look at it. It's not a true democracy, and and uh, so representative democracy, but also strong courts, is really what became. Um, also with the European Court of Justice and with, with the Human Rights Court in, in Strasbourg, became the, the, the symbol of, of the rule of law in Europe. And it's just so incredibly hard to understand even today for Brits and for Danes uh, uh, that it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's really amazing how, how, how bad we have been at conveying 
the benefits of, of living in a system where you actually have a true balance of powers and strong courts that can protect minorities and, and protect the rule of law. And that is exactly what we're seeing right now in Hungary and Poland. Mm-hmm. They, are moving, they are moving in a majoritarian direction. So they are uh, sort of, you know, putting their own friends on the bench uh, in, 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 the, in, in the courts. And uh, uh, I mean, there are no impartial courts anymore in, 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 in these countries, at least in, in, not in Hungary and Poland. They are trying constantly to undermine uh, independent courts. There's been so many uh, infringement cases against, um, against uh, these so-called uh, judicial reforms in, in Poland. So, so uh, it's, 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 in my opinion, a, a very common trait uh, from autocracies or wannabe autocracies that they move in this direction, challenging, criticizing uh, the courts, the judges, criticizing independent media, um, limiting who is right to speak and who is not uh, allowed to to have an opinion this kind of of of, of a you know um, pinpointing what uh, what is the right opinion from from which academics uh, and also who's allowed to to uh, to engage in the debate and and, and constantly criticize and 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 uh, prosecute even um, those who are in disagreement with you so it's it's so far in my in my opinion from from a true liberal democracy what we are seeing right now i am of course not seeing that 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 uh, the uk and and denmark are i are becoming autocracies and uh, denmark is certainly you know we are not as far out as uh, sorry to say uh, right now the uk is in terms of undermining the rule of law but but uh, but you do see traits of this and uh, uh, and 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 the the big the big problem is of course also that nobody is saying anything nobody is putting down their their foot to 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 what's going on in europe and and there my point is of course that if if we don't even do it ourselves, also our own politicians uh, and European politicians, uh, then how can we how can we run around and tell Erdogan and and Putin and Xi Jinping that they are not uh, you know treating people properly and that they are you know undermining the rule of law and so on? If if we are not even able to do this uh, in 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 Europe, and, yeah, and you, that's what's really worrying me. Yeah, yeah you, you you say it will be a. Um, a a serious threat to the EU's credibility if they don't deal properly with uh, um, Orban and uh, Kaczynski. Um, I mean, the history of enforcement um, of mostly through Article 7 of the treaty has not been a happy one. Um, How, I mean, there is this possibility now of um, the linkage of the new next generation EU recovery fund to rule of law provisions. And, People seem split as to how serious to, ser- seriously to take that provision. Where do you fall in that debate? Well, I, I certainly hope that that um, that that it will eventually happen. Uh, but but I'm not I'm not very optimistic. I would say uh, I think that that Orbán uh, somehow has a grip on the European People's Party in the. European Parliament and 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 they are you know embracing both uh, von der Leyen and 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 Merkel. Um, so so as long as they have not made up their mind about uh, yeah what to do with autocracies in Europe and and what to 
how to deal with with countries that are undermining the rule of law so 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 seriously as as is happening and has been happening for ten years now in in Hungary and for for four or five years in in Poland, uh, but also in many other countries you have corruption in so many places. I mean, as long as you don't uh, have politicians who dare to step up and and seriously deal with this question. Uh, because they are afraid of losing majority in parliament, or they are afraid of, of you know, Orban was uh, uh, was was the one uh, uh, supporting von der Leyen, you know. Uh, so yeah. she feels perhaps that she owes him something, and and so uh, so I really think that it's going to be very difficult. And maybe it's only the European Parliament, you know, often called the Mickey Mouse Parliament or the not a real Parliament, or you know, there's lots of, of EU critics out there who are busy telling everyone that the Parliament is ridiculous. Nigel Farage, for instance, uh, but but maybe they will in the end be the ones uh, that most seriously say, okay, we will not vote for this budget if. Um, if there is no uh, rule of law conditionality. Uh, and I, I really think that, that it's important that we, we talk very openly about this. I know it's, it's, some people say, oh, you know, you, you don't, shouldn't be so harsh on Central and Eastern Europe because they are, you know, new democracies, they have to find their feet and so on. But I mean, uh, I just can't see that we can compromise on those absolutely basic values that you shouldn't be corrupt and certainly not with our taxpayers' money, you know, coming from all over Europe, uh, which is actually what is happening, you know, in 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 uh, many of these, at least some of these countries. Uh, but but also we shouldn't compromise on Article Two, which is uh, the basic, you know, the most minimal, you know, division of powers, impartial judges, free press, ability for any civil society group to act without being on a blacklist or being refused, uh, you know, housing or, or money or funding or, you know. So, so um, these things are, in my opinion, so basic to the European, uh, to, to what we have in common in Europe, that, that if we compromise on that, I can't see what's left, to be honest. I simply can't see what is left. I can't see why I should support this project even. So, so yeah, I, that's a bit, yeah. Well, I think that, that, that's an important point, actually. And, and do you think that if this fails, you know, linking the uh, next generation funding to rule of law, <clears throat> and especially if Orban wins again in 2022, do you think it's it's then time to think about something really radical, like, for example, in 2012, when David Cameron, the then British Prime Minister, refused to sign the Fiscal Compact Treaty, and within three months, every other member state, or nearly every other member state, had signed their own treaty. Yeah. So essentially, you could you could sort of break away from the EU, you could create a, a European confederation within the EU, and then you leave these these countries in the rump EU. It, it, it's, is, it, is it time to start thinking about something like that? It's it's a very interesting perspective because that's that's actually what what my young students tell me. You know, mm. when we discuss this, and things new, innovative thinking often comes from students. And and they they was simply I remember one putting up his hand and saying, "Why don't we just create a Europe for democracies? You know, yeah. why don't we? Uh, I mean, wh why are we?" why are we still dealing with these persons? I mean, they are, they are not, I mean, they promised when they entered the EU that they would sign up to, to all these values. Uh, they promised, you know, the Copenhagen criteria and so on. 
so, so why are we dealing with this? I mean, why are we sending money to these countries? Uh, even in the new budget, you can see how much money goes to 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 Hungary and and uh, uh, and Czech Republic. They were they were last year. I don't know if you saw that article by New York Times on the front page. You know, the money farmers. Mm. Uh, they were. I mean, the, on the 9th of of November, if if any of the listeners wants to google it it's it's really really the most embarrassing article i've seen uh, you know you know on the front page of any of any uh, big uh, international newspaper saying you know why are we putting money into these people's pockets i mean we are contributing by the system we have set up with uh, you know the way we are using spending money in europe with agricultural funds and structural funds and and now we have the recovery fund as well mm-hmm. and and it's it, we haven't changed the rules for what you know what conditions uh, should there be and partly of course because that we have so much faith in each other in europe we have had that since the beginning that you, if you are fraudulent and and you are not, uh, you know, uh, spending money correctly, it's the national authorities that should that should uh, deal with this. But what what happens if you have national authorities that are also uh, paid and um, and uh, bought up by uh, uh, by the the the, uh, the oligarchs and mm. by the leaders uh, of, of 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 an autocracy? I mean, you can, you cannot trust. Uh, independent bodies uh, and accountants to to uh, to to research this, and the the media is also prohibited because if you do uh, research into corruption, you you get killed, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so so yes, uh, I think that's a very good. Uh, I mean, it's of course a little bit a little bit drastic to say that we should create a new Europe, but to be honest, I mean, I I don't think the young generation will accept will accept this the way the structure it has right now i think there are so many problems and and uh, and and these values are so important that i can feel that when i talk to 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 the younger generations uh, and of course my students that this is something that really occupies them uh, illiberal democracies the discussion about what to do with them um the discussion about where is Europe heading? I mean, uh, will we even have human rights and, and basic rights, rule of law in, in, in 20, 25 years if we just do nothing? Uh, because there are so many others out there in the world uh, that would love to buy up our assets in Europe and would like to, you know, uh, yeah, take over um, uh, even these countries. You know, lots of them have investments from China and, and Russia. Uh, and and um, you know it's it's uh, it's it's scary to see how how we have been incredibly naive in in Europe uh, by not dealing with this also up front to just take the discussion uh, do we really want this do we want countries to just let China and and Russia buy up all our assets and to also influence the media and and uh, all these questions about cyber attacks coming you know disrupting elections in democracies uh, making people more and more doubtful about whether they can trust the politicians um, it's 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 all part I think of I'm not. I don't want to sound as a conspiracy theorist, uh, but but and I know it sounds a little bit like that. But 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 I think that that these dangers are so uh, and challenges are so uh, enormous that mm. that 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 they should be dealt with. Well, 
I mean, that brings me to my last question, which sort of turns the book on its head a bit, which is to ask, um, do you... Do you think there's a risk that at least some advocates of European integration can fall into the same trap, which is that they start to see the process and the institutions as the goal? So the European flag, the European anthem, European Commission, European Parliament, rather than focusing on the benefits that the EU or the European Economic Area can bring, jobs, free movement, improved services, reduced risk of conflict, essentially, in fact, we too become a tribe and see the yeah. skeptics as the other. Mm. I think that was probably a danger in the 80s, uh, 90s. I think that there was a certain sentiment in Brussels. I was I was the stagiair myself in the 90s in the commission and actually uh, working in, in communication. And and uh, I thought it was too much with all these, you know, uh, flags and, and all these... Uh, kind of, of very superficial messages coming out um, at times from, from the commission. But I think that is, is, is really a, something of the past. I think that, that it's, people have become far too critical and far too demanding. And the media has also, I mean, we have so much, I mean, we have a lot of crappy media, but we certainly also have some very good uh, Politico and others, uh, good media in Brussels that, you know, you cannot get away with, with uh, you know, uh, arguing uh, for Europe just for Europe's own sake. If it doesn't deliver, mm. uh, then people will say, well, I'm sorry, uh, you know, uh, uh, this is uh, this is just not good enough. Uh, so so I think it's 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 not possible today to uh, uh, and of course, you you can easily find people who would defend this kind of stuff. I'm not I'm not uh, at all uh, in doubt about that. But I think the overall, and my impression from from uh, I lived in Brussels last year or in 18, 19, uh, 2018 to nineteen, uh, and um, uh, from talking to people, from from sensing uh, the discussions, from from really getting it under my skin in a sense, uh, people are so incredibly occupied with delivering. With, with 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 delivering on borders on migration on on i mean look at the recovery fund i mean uh, now i've said a lot of bad things about europe but mostly mm-hmm. i've said a bad, lot of bad things about the member states but uh, but i think that that was actually a very very good example of a europe that can deliver in terms of saying okay uh, Let's realize what's really at stake here. We are losing uh, some 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 generations in in southern Europe, and 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 who has benefited mainly from the internal market and and uh, the euro? That's been Germany and and us from from northern Europe. I mean, we're not part of the euro, but we have benefited enormously, uh, and we are export-driven economies. Um, we are the ones who have, you know, uh, been able to sell all of our goods. Uh, at the same time, in particular, Germany has not, uh, um, you know, uh, risen its 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 uh, minimum wages. Uh, so people have not been able to to import as much or to buy as much goods from Italy and Spain and so on. So I mean, we owe them big time. And I think it was a. a in, that's my analysis, but I think that that uh, that uh, that it was really a revelation and and an interesting U-turn that Germany did uh, during the COVID crisis. That all of a sudden they they realized that that uh, what will happen to to their economy if Italy has to leave the euro or 
even leave the EU. Uh, and, and, you know, so the UK was not just the first, but then, you know, COVID crisis came and uh, after the financial crisis, and then we end up with, with maybe a, a Europe that breaks up. I mean, in particular, when looking at who actually had, have had the largest benefits of the internal market. So, so uh, invest more, spend more, uh, get the wheels you, uh, running again. That is, that is what it's about. And I think that, that the politicians have actually delivered uh, on that, but I just don't think they have delivered on the rule of law and linking all this money and all these new uh, investments to also a respect for our basic rights in Europe. And I think that is on time. Okay. Well, to remind our listeners, we've been discussing Marlene Wynn's uh, Tribalization of Europe, published in June by Polity. Marlene, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Tim, for having me. It was a pleasure.